Uh, hey listeners, this is Matt. This is Mel. Welcome to the mysterious. Missing. And murdered. Hey everybody, so we just wanted to take a quick second and thank you for listening, for everybody who's listened so far. One thing you can do that would really help us out if you are enjoying the podcast is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. This allows other people to find our podcast, it makes it more visible to others, and we would really appreciate it. Also, you can go to our website and we have a little comment form you can fill out. So if you have any ideas, suggestions, thoughts, anything, you can send them to us. So if you want to drop us a line, maybe suggest a case, go ahead and go there. And we would really appreciate hearing from you either way. Yep, that website is mysterypodcast.com. We are also on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Twitstagram. Uh, and it's uh, Miss Miss Murpod. Uh, that is at M Y S M I S M U R P O D. Had to think about that. I did have to think about that. Miss Miss Murpod. So yeah, uh, right. thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello. Hello. Are you recording? I am. Oh, you should tell me. Nah, it's better this way. <sighs> okay, so today we're going to talk about Michael Rockefeller. And the title that I gave this story as I was writing it up was Michael Rockefeller from Riches to Cannibals. So oh. that gives you a little bit of a preview of what oh my of what maybe this will entail. So to start off, who was so Michael Rockefeller? So he was born on May 18th, 1938 and was the fifth child of the New York governor and later vice president Nelson Rockefeller and was a fourth generation member of the Rockefeller family. And if you don't know who they are, uh, they own one of the world's largest fortunes. Um, which was made largely in the U.S. petroleum industry in the late 19th and uh, early 20th centuries by John D. Rockefeller and his brother, mainly through Standard Oil. Uh, John they Rockefeller, also can... relative to global GDP, is still the richest person who ever lived, ever. Yeah, and so time, really was, rich dude. Yeah, really, really rich. At the time, uh, an interesting tidbit about him is that he was the only person in his tax bracket in the United States. There was a tax bracket Damn. specifically made for John D. Rockefeller, and he was taxed over 50% of his income every year. Damn. But, I mean, his income was ginormous, so it's not like he was living in a cardboard box. Yeah, like, no, I think his net worth was, like, if you converted it to today's dollars, it would be in the trillions. Like, he, right. he, was, he was effectively, like, several countries' worth of wealth all in one person. Exactly. Uh, and they also control Chase Manhattan Bank, so they're a little diversified. They have a lot of money. Uh, so basically, dude's born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Like, Michael Rock Rockefeller wanted for nothing. The um, spoons. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, he had a fairly average, and by average, I mean average for a rich white dude childhood. Yeah. Um, and like many people of his era and his wealth, he graduated from Harvard University, um, cum laude, with a BA in history and economics. Okay, so he did all right. So, yeah, I mean, he's not 
I don't know, man. I feel like when you're that rich and in that time period, graduating from Harvard doesn't necessarily mean anything. But I mean, cum laude, like you have to do something to get that. They don't just like pass right. that out like a gold star. So right. So like he he must have he must have been doing something right, but maybe not as right as his classmates. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so in 1960, he served six months as a private in the U.S. Army. And then he went on an expedition for Harvard's Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Ethnology to study the Danny tribe of the Western Netherlands, New Guinea. Can we stop and talk about the word ethnology for a moment? <laughs> I know. I know. I read that and I was like, ooh, deep cringe. Like... <laughs> that's, that's right and up there it... with like, I feel like that's soft eugenics, right? I mean, it's definitely like looking at other humans like they're animals. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's definitely looking at them like they're not on the same level as you, right. which like, is pretty gross. You feel like, I mean, you feel like zoos at the time that had, like, because there were human zoos around this time where they would have. In the like, 1960s? Oh, no, not in the 60s, but in, like, the 20s and yeah, 30s. Yeah, I'm like, you're like around this time. And I'm like, uh, I don't it's think they around. had human zoos in the 1960s in the relative. US. It's relative. But I I feel like a, a zoo that employs a zoo that has humans in it employs an ethnologist, right? This right. Is the lead ethnologist. He takes care of Otabenga and the, you know, <laughs> like. Right. I mean, at least up to the 1930s, it was pretty common. Um. Oh my God! I just looked this up, and a Congolese village was displayed at the Brussels 1958 World Fair. So that was just two years before this. (laughs) Oof. Oof. You know they had an ethnologist there. Exactly. Right. And I mean, at least at this point in time, anthropology had... So anthropology in, like, the 1800s was a lot more of rich white guys, like, sitting in their bungalow with their binoculars, making, quote-unquote, observations of people in their everyday life. Right. You know, so at least at this point, people were actually, like going into villages and forming relationships and things like that. But there's Talking still definitely a level of, like, otherness. And <laughs> looking sh- at them like they are not yes. the same kind of people as you. You know what I mean? Right. So, <laughs> so our friend Michael Rockefeller, the ethnologist, <laughs> goes on this expedition, which, oh, my God, like, I just kind of had to roll my eyes at that, too. Like, expedition, of course they called it that. Um, you know he had a pith helmet. Right, exactly. And he had, like, the poofy pants tucked into his tall boots. Oh, God, yes. It was all khaki. All khaki, absolutely. Um, So the expedition filmed a short documentary called Dead Birds about the Danny people. Um, And at the time, New Guinea was one of the few remaining areas in the world that was largely uncolonized by Europeans. So that's part of the reason why he went out there. In 1998, the film was chosen for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. So, I mean, it's a pretty... I mean, someone's deemed it to be an important film. I didn't watch it myself. I thought about trying to look it up and watch it, but at the same time, I was like, I don't know, man. Can I really sit through some, like, I don't know, overlay of some snotty white guy being like, and here the people are, blah, 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 for however long it is? Like, I'll pass. It's okay. To put it in context, the Library of Congress up until very recently was archiving every tweet ever. Exactly. So So. it's not, I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Right. (laughs) Um, Unsurprisingly, for a restless white boy with nothing better to do, 
Um, he returned to New Guinea after filming to, quote, study the asthmat and collect, quote, asthmat art. So once again, he hears, like, ugh, more eye roll worthy behavior here. Oh, God. Um, and then, and then a quote from Michael himself. Um, it's a desire to do something adventurous at a time when frontiers and the real sense of the word are disappearing and... The asthmat is like a huge puzzle with the variations in ceremony and art style forming the pieces. My tribes are enabling me to comprehend, if only in a superficial, rudimentary manner, the Oof. nature of the puzzle, end quote. Oof. Yeah, so I'm like so over this guy at this point. <laughs> like, holy shit, dude. Like, You're so was, full of yourself. That was a lot of words that said nothing, but somehow also managed that was just a lot of words to say I'm a racist. <laughs> right, and I'm like, that's just sort of like that, like that icky, like I don't, I don't know, like the the icky, like wanting to, I don't know. You know, like when people are like, oh man, I'm so into Japanese culture. I'm a yeah. total, you know what I mean? Oh my god, I love Japanese culture, and it's just this like superficial, creepy, like. Yeah, you don't you don't care about Japanese you know? culture or the yeah. Japanese. No, you, I'm sorry, you care about the culture, but you don't you don't actually care about the people, like at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's definitely the feeling that I'm getting here, and I don't know to like study humans, like their specimens, in this sort of way, like culturally, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's not it's for a, me. It's a bit. It's a bit. Um, ew. Ew. Yeah. Ew. ew. Totally. Ew. ew. So, on November 17th, 1961, Rockefeller and a Dutch anthropologist named um, Rene Wassing were in a dugout canoe about three miles from shore when their pontoon boat was swamped and overturned. So, their two local guides swam for help, but help was slow in coming. After drifting for some time, early on November uh, 19th, so two whole days later, uh, Rockefeller basically said, fuck this. Or more accurately, what he actually said was, I think I can make it, and swam to shore. Oh, dear. So at this point, I mean, the boat has not stayed in that same place where it originally, you know, overturned. So at this point, it's about 12 miles from shore. Fuck. Um, and Alanis Morrison style irony, which I know we've talked about before in the podcast. Oh, Wassing was rescued the very next day. <laughs> so if he had just Isn't like fucking ironic? held on to his pants and waited, he would have been fine. But can we also talk um, about how stereotypical it is that like two white boys in a pontoon are bad at boating? Like, right, right. And then like their guys are like, oh, we got this. And they left and they're just like, oh, I guess we'll just wait here. Never came back. Doing nothing. Right. right. Like, right. Just left with the guides and probably both made it to shore just fine. But no. Right, like, right. We're right. We'll stay on the pontoon. Thank you. We have a cooler. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go fetch someone for me. Right. Go on now. Shoot. Hurry up. We're almost out of champagne. Right, or Sherry. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. Uh, but Rockefeller was never seen again, or was he? Oh, dear. We'll get to that. Oh, I think I know this one. I, I definitely have mentioned it to you before, So, oh. but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, he was, for sure, however, legally declared dead in 1964. So, I mean, according to the legal system, he died. Right. So what happened after this? So most people think that he died from exposure, exhaustion, and or drowning. 
Um, another popular theory is that he maybe got attacked and then eaten by a shark or a saltwater crocodile. All possible. All likely. Which, yeah, I mean, these were, you know, things that would make sense in this case. Right. You're, uh, you're swimming 12 miles to shore through predator-infested waters. I mean, right, and you are a tasty snack. Right. <laughs> you are a tasty khaki snack. <laughs> right. Uh, both headhunting and cannibalism were still present in some parts of Asmat in 1961, so I guess that's an option, but I don't necessarily think that it's the most likely. Um, I mean, you're and, you're way more likely to be a victim of that in 1961 if you're white, right? Oh, for sure. Well, and it's important to note, too, that these practices were not indiscriminate, so it's not just like, oh, there's a random guy that we've never seen before, and he's just walking down the street, let's like kill him and eat him they were like a tit for tat basis right so, so it was like you do <laughs> something to fuck up my village i'm gonna get back at you right and they see a white man in a pith helmet and they think huh seems seems like we've been fucked over by a white man in pith helmet before maybe we should uh well we should and specifically Several village leaders of the, and I'm totally going to butcher this, so I apologize, of the um, Ustjenev village in the nearby area had been killed by a Dutch patrol in 1958. And it was actually pretty brutal. I mean, the Dutch were just sort of like, fuck you, we're in charge here, and like basically rounded up these village leaders and just killed them for not really any reason. Right, and they were almost certainly white men with large mustaches with pith helmets wearing khaki. And khaki, yeah. So I, I... so there is something to be said for this had happened. I'm sure people were still pretty pissed about it. It would have been within their norm to be like, okay, well, you you know, your type of people came in and fucked up our village. So, like, we're going to get back at you. Right. There is a book called um, Rocky Goes West by Paul Tui that claims in 1979 Rockefeller's mother hired a private investigator who apparently swapped a boat engine for, quote, the skulls of the only three white dudes they had ever killed, end quote. That's a quote of myself, by the way. He didn't actually say white dudes, but you know what I mean. Right, right. Um, And apparently the private eye brought back these to the family with claims that one was their son, but the family hasn't ever publicly commented on it. However... On the History Channel, which we all know is 100% accurate, and they never lead us astray, ever. Oof. I'm ready for it. <laughs> On their show, Vanishings, um, it was reported that his mom did pay $250,000, which was a reward money, to the investigator. And this reward money was offered for pi- final proof whether or not he was, he being Michael, was alive or dead. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, it's a lot of hearsay. Yeah, like, like, what actual evidence was there? Like, I feel like if she, if, if, I don't know if the Rockefellers are still around, but I'm sure their shit is, like, couldn't, couldn't they DNA test that against a living relative? Like, bones have DNA. Right, I'm sure they could, but also, I'm not entirely certain that this happened. Eh. So, do you know what I mean? Like, it just seems very murky, and I don't necessarily Right, it seems like one of those National Enquirer things. Right. Rockefeller mother pays $250,000 for reward for son's skull. Like... Right. Like, I mean, it's totally tabloid material. Yeah. To be fair, this story is kind of entirely tabloid material, but whatever. Okay, I'm living for it. I mean, a guy a guy whose job was an ethnologist went and got killed by... Or 
I don't actually know where New Guinea is. How awful is that? I'm just going to Google it real quick. Okay. Well, you educate yourself. I knew it's, um, I knew it's, it's an island, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I just pop on New Guinea. Oh, it's in, oh, it's in the Philippines. Okay, it's Southeast Asia. Yes. Okay, yes. so that actually makes that even more likely because I know, I know the Maori in um, New Zealand. There's a lot of fun stories about um, white people going, to, like white people from Australia or from from colonies in Australia going to New Zealand, and mm-hmm. um, basically engaging in peaceful things for a number of years, and then deciding that they're going to do what historical white people do, which is kill non-white people and then they right and take their just, land right and take their land <laughs> and their and resources then, and then they just all get eaten by the maori like which i'm like you know what <laughs> you played yourself right <laughs> so okay so and this feel is bad for you okay so this is in in that area of the world okay yes okay. all right i've educated um, myself i'm i'm now educated okay so that's even that's even more like this is a guy that went to an area that was has been historically known for cannibalism and decided right, to do white not people like, things there, and then, <laughs> and then like, do a deadly right, well, swim to shore. I, it seems totally plausible that he's just gone. <laughs> right, well, and not just, like, rampant, random cannibalism, no. but, like, he surely would know the history of the area. Like, people would talk about it and be like, yeah, didn't you hear about this thing that happened a couple of years ago? So, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he was armed with this knowledge oh, and i don't feel like, bad for him whatever it was that happened yeah no but, absolutely not like this this should be a well-known thing where it's like hey some people got killed this group of individuals this community is out for blood and they've been known to eat people when they get mad at white people that come into their area maybe maybe you should just be careful maybe you should know about that maybe, maybe. right like maybe you shouldn't just be wandering around by yourself like just the thought or, or but i don't want to get at... too victim blamey no, but i don't really not. know that he's a victim so okay we'll get to that we'll get to that though right. okay right. okay so I, I feel like he's still alive and he's going to show up not, none of those skulls are his well we'll get there we'll get there okay so there's a documentary about him called keep the river on your right by tobias and i love this name it's so silly it's schneebaum like what a silly name <laughs> What? You're going to need to spell that one for me. Uh, S-C-H-N-E-E-B-A-U-M. Schneebaum. What was his first so, name? Hmm? Tobias? And his first name is Tobias. Tobias yes, like Schneebaum. Tobias Hello, I am Tobias Schneebaum. Exactly. It's called Keep so, Over on the Right. Or the <laughs> Schneebaum, as I call it. Keep the Schneebaum on your right. So, uh, in his documentary, he states that he spoke with um, self-proclaimed asthmat cannibals, so people who are of this tribe who have said they have partaken in cannibalism, who described finding Rockefeller on the riverside and then eating him. Uh, Likewise, in the book Savage Harvest, a tale of cannibals, colonialism, and Michael Rockefeller's tragic quest for primitive art. And there's a lot to unpack there in that title. Like, don't even get me started. Yeah. Oof. 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 Um, Maybe maybe leave that one in the past. (laughs) Right. Like, we're just going to acknowledge that that's terrible and move on because there's just too much there. Yeah. The author, Carol Hoffman, discussed how over several visits to the villages in the area... Oh, Carl. Sorry, I misread my own notes. Carl Hoffman, not Carol. Uh, Carl. He, Carl. Exactly. We can say that in response to his fucking title. Yeah. 
Uh, he heard stories about men from the Astronaut tribe, which if you remember earlier, those were the village leaders who had been killed by the Dutch like officials. Um, that they had killed him after he swam to shore. So in a nutshell, they echoed previous speculations that this was a revenge killing. Um, but it's kind of funny, like, I guess karma's a bitch because later a Gloria epidemic spread through the villages Ooh. and the villagers believed that this was divine payback for eating Rockefeller. Ah, yeah. Uh, I, I oh. attempted to read this book, but I have a strict, like, no bullshit, no bad writing policy because I have, like, 600 books on my to-read list and I just do not have time for that. So no, I read fair. one chapter and said no. That's and I promptly fair. gave it back to the library. No, I remember there was there was a case of like some traders, um, and it was like one particular trade ship from uh, from like Brisbane or Sydney or somewhere um, in Eastern Australia that was going to New Zealand, and they were trading with the Maori. And one of the things that happened when they were there is they like the Maori got cholera because of whatever, like because they gave them some you know dirty Australian Western goods or whatever, and. Um, the Maori believed that, like, the Maori believed that it was like a spiritual attack from, from the Westerners, and then the next time the ship came around, they just they just killed them all, <laughs> and that was right. like, that was their that was their divine vengeance. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. fair. Yeah, it seems all right. I, I mean, I'm not sure how likely I am to believe any of these claims, though, and the reason why I don't necessarily believe it is because i think that there was some like oh yeah i'll give you stuff if you tell me your story and i mean how's it gonna hurt you if you're just like oh yeah that dude yeah i'll, t I'll take that from you yeah i ate him yeah you know yeah, what i mean yeah. like right. i just don't necessarily think that there is solid proof right especially um, when like okay when like Mr. Schneebaum or whatever comes over and he sits in front of you and he says hello my name is tobias i would like to give you uh, everything I own that you can see, all of these fancy things, for a story, and then you mention cannibalism, and he lights up like a Christmas tree. Like, can you imagine the look on Schneebaum's face when they said, we ate him? <laughs> like, of course they're going right. to tell him. Like, like, if he just keeps giving you stuff after you say, yeah, we, we ate him, what's the big deal? And he just keeps giving you stuff. You're just going to keep, yeah, I ate him and him and him and him and him and him and him. Like, you're just going to keep telling him how many people you ate and all about it. Right, like, fuck, I'd eat you. Let's go. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's go. Oh, really? Oh, you'd eat me. How would you cook me? Would you cook me? Would you eat me raw? How, but where would you start? Oh, very, very interesting. Yes, you can have my hat as well, yes. Right, <laughs> and that's they're like, man, these white people are so gullible. It's great. <laughs> right, these guys are idiots. <laughs> just keep giving us all their stuff. This is great. Right. Uh, a villager was quoted as saying, uh, quote, don't you tell this story to any other man or any other village because the story is only for us. And let me pause here because it's just hilarious because this person fucking turns around and puts a direct quote of this in his book. <laughs> like, can't you follow instructions? Like, oh damn. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Amazing. So the rest of it is don't speak. Don't speak and tell the story, which maybe I thought he was like, well, I'm writing it down. <laughs> I'm not speaking it. Right. 
Um, I hope you remember it, and you must keep this for us. I hope, I hope. This is for you and you only. Don't talk to anyone, uh, to other people or another village. If people question you, don't answer. Don't talk to them, because the story is only for you. If you tell them, you'll die. I am afraid you will die. You'll be dead. Your people will be dead if you tell this story. You keep the story in your house to yourself. End quote. I want to, I wish I had, like, more information about... Because that's that's a run on, right? That is that is that is yes to ending to the extreme. I I want to know if he like held him down and aggressively like told him this because <laughs> I feel like he did. This is like right, a, like shook him one. by his lapels. Ever, like. ever, you'll die. You hear me? You die. And Shne- like, who, was this Schneebaum or was this someone else? Uh, this was our friend Carl. Was, okay, this is Coral. So like Coral sitting there like writing down like yes yes i will tell no one yes 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 no one no <laughs> one he's like, i'll die you say i'll contact die, yes. publisher immediately right quick send this note to the publisher i have the best story uh another quote from the book is I uh, i started poking around in dutch uh colonial archives and the records of dutch missionaries and i found more than i'd ever imagined after the ships and planes and helicopters had gone home because there was a search effort Right. As an aside, it wasn't like they were just like, oh yeah, he's gone, whatever, bye. I mean, they did try to find him. Uh, A series of new investigations took place. There were pages and pages of reports, cables and letters discussing the case, sent by the Dutch government, Azmet-speaking missionaries on the ground, and Catholic church authorities, and most of it had never been made public. Mm. Men who had been key participants in those investigations had remained silent for 50 years, but they were still alive and finally willing to talk. Which, okay, whatever. Mm, that's never good human memory is not the most reliable anything ever right and also like once again silent for 50 years but now they're willing to talk like are you giving them anything for them talking like you can't you know what i mean like there's something about like journalistic integrity and how you're obtaining your information right there's a lot of that that like happens where it's like silent for 50 years and now they're willing to tell their story and every time I hear that, I'm like, yeah, but why, though? Why are you... Nobody wants... Like, nobody actually cares about, like, clearing whatever conscience, especially if they didn't take a part in it. Nobody, like, I need to tell this story before I die. I'm 75, and suddenly I had an epiphany that I need to tell the story. Like, no, nobody does that. Why would anybody <laughs> right. do that? It's like, no, how much are you paying them? <laughs> deathbed conventions, or deathbed confessions are not as common as things like this would you know, want us to think. Right, that would lead you to believe. Yeah, it's not... That's, I, you, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm jaded. But I really... What are you paying them, really? Right, exactly. Like, I'm 75. I don't give a fuck anymore. I'll, like, 30 years ago? Nah, I wouldn't have done it because because I, I swore a vow or whatever. You know, I didn't feel like it was a story worth telling. Or I'm not gonna lie for money. But now I'm, like, what, 80? Like, yeah, I'll lie for money. Fuck it, give me the camera. <laughs> Right. Okay. So give it to my grandkids. We're, like. Right. I got I got grandkids to feed, okay? They just keep multiplying. Alright, they need more Lego. Like come on. They need more Lego, always more Lego. Uh so the legend, the myth, the tale. Where are we now? So the story grew to mythic proportions. And I, there's been so much media about it and based on it. It's kind of ridiculous. 
So there's like an off-Broadway play, a novel, a rock song, and even my favorite, a TV show in the 1980s hosted by Leonard Nimoy, or Spock to those of us who are Trekkies. So wait, I'm sorry, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, I remember this. There was like an unsolved Leonard Nimoy mystery show. Yeah. So I mean, he did things other than Star Trek, and this was one of the things he did. Right, and I remember him, I remember like interviews saying he like absolutely hated this show. Or hated, hated not surprised <laughs> not surprised in the least um there was even a movie that's been made and it's about two couples who venture into the jungle thinking that they can make money by finding evidence of michael rockefeller's death uh which of course goes horribly wrong for those interested it was published or put out in 2007 and it's called welcome to the jungle so <laughs> very oh, unique title here oh god uh, the play that I talked about is titled The Man Who Ate Michael Rockefeller, and it's based on the short story of the same name. Okay. And then in 2011, Agamemnon Films released a documentary titled The Search for Michael Rockefeller, based on journalist, oh my god, this person's name to you, Milt Mocklin's book of the same title, which uh, was released in 1974. And this film hmm? Good old Milt Mocklin. Right, exactly. Uh, and this film introduces my favorite theory, the one you've all been waiting for, that Rockefeller survived and was living among the locals. So this theory is supported by a verbal claim of contact made by, quote, a mysterious Australian adventurer, end quote, mm-hmm. plus a few frames of film footage showing a bearded white guy among indigenous men and the white guy is wearing local garb. So, is he alive and well, is the question. Or was this Uh, just some random white person? (laughs) Right, or was it a totally random white person? Uh, In a 2015 Daily Mail article, so, once again, this was like a rock of salt. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps he wasn't killed, eaten, or dead after all. So, in their article, they shared a 1969 color photo of a naked white guy among Poppin tribesmen, uh, captured, so the film was captured as they were out on a hunt. The picture was taken close to where Rockefeller had gone missing eight years earlier, so maybe? Um, and this is discussed by Fraser Heston in his 2011 documentary, The Search for Rock, uh, Michael Rockefeller. Now, I tried to locate this documentary so I could watch it and comment on it, but it's like, freaking like an hour not even hour long thing and i had to buy it from amazon for 16 dollars plus shipping and i What's said no way so i can't if somebody else wants to acquire this and then provide commentary you are more than welcome to but that ain't me so i i mean really at the end of the day we don't know what happened we don't have any proof we don't have uh, you know maybe circumstantial evidence but we don't have any hard proof Right. So I guess that you just get to decide. You get to pick your own adventure. Whichever one is your favorite, you can choose to believe. Oh, so he joined a cannibal tribe that wasn't actually a cannibal tribe. They just called him a cannibal tribe because they ate people once once every so often. Like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like... <sighs> well, the thing that pisses me off about that the most is when... When these people are labeled as being like a cannibal tribe, the image that that brings up to your mind is like, we only eat other humans. We don't eat anything else. Right. We've never eaten another animal or a vegetable or a In tuber or anything. Yeah. And right. it's not, it's like, and it was largely not for like a sustenance thing. It was about like 
killing the person and eating them to like take their power. You know, it or, wasn't or like a oh my god, we're really like hungry. Ritualistic. Like let's kill Jimmy. Thing. Well, I mean, and you like like look at Catholicism, right? You literally eat like every time you go to church, you take communion, and you're engaging in what is effectively ritualistic, like what you believe to be ritualistic cannibalism. Like body right, of and Christ, it's totally normal, and nobody bats an eyelash at right. it. Right, but for some reason, these people do it for a, a like a pseudo religious reason or a a cultural or spiritual reason because they like and they actually eat people. Like it is gruesome. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like it is, it is a thing where they will like wipe out you know an entire ship, family, women, children, everyone at all of people who never wronged them because they believe that like white men put a plague on them. But it's like. It's not, it's not like these people are actually, like, white people still do worse shit. And it's not like these people are actually, like, just only eating people ever and are, like, walking zombies, right? That's not... Right, that's and they're, not like, they on do. the prowl looking for whoever they can find to kill and eat them. Right, exactly. It's I mean, just... like, don't get me wrong. I think that cannibalism is icky. Okay. Not, it's pretty icky. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not here for it. Right. But I'm also not here for making people look... I don't know, like, they're less than human or make them look like, oh, those, like, scary, you know, those scary, icky people out in the jungle. Like, look what they're doing. They're, you know, ugh, right. to use the term, exactly which I hate, like, they're savages. Right, exactly. Like, it's trying that. to, right, it's literally trying to, like, like dehumanize Demonize them, them. And, yeah. yeah. And make people, you know, make them seem more savage than they are. And it's like, well, no, they're just So they're then just it's okay if we go in and we take their do. land and we civilize them. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the purpose of it. It is it is so that we can we can say that oh, they're basically just like animals. We can go and herd them or do whatever and, you know, justify whatever we need to. But no, they're they're people and they're people doing what all people do. They're just doing it, you know, within the realm of their own nation unlike Europeans. And, and right, unlike white Europeans who are like, let's take over the whole earth and make everybody exactly like us. All of it, all of it. Everybody wears khaki. Everybody gets a pith helmet. If you're not white, well, that sucks. That really does. Right. Sting. Bye. <laughs> like, ugh, ugh. So I mean, he definitely just drowned, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're like having an existential crisis about this. I yeah. I, there's no way he like he like really lived and joined like i i'm not gonna say he joined cannibals he went if he did live he uh, probably assumed that everyone around him had died and probably had some sort of like ridiculous come to jesus moment in the water and it, you know probably almost died of exposure and this tribe saved his life so it was like whatever fuck being a you know anthropologist or a, what was it called what was an ethnologist an ethnologist fuck being an ethnologist these people saved my lives i've seen nature i'm just gonna live with these people and forego all my riches and like if that happened that's what happened he didn't like go and become a cannibal right he didn't like <laughs> but odds right. are he just died <laughs> i mean occam's razor right so probably right. what happened is he drowned you know, or he died of exposure or something like that, or was super dehydrated or, you know what I mean? Like, probably not. But still, it's an intriguing thought. Yeah, that he lived and joined. Jo right, jo I mean, it's a mystery in that yeah. we don't know. We don't have definitive proof of anything, so. Right. But, dang, what a, uh, 
The most interesting thing about this is the fact that he was an ethnologist in the 1960s, and then that, like, the term ethnologist and the the, the occupation ethnologist existed during the civil rights movement. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's really kind of upsetting. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean? Like, I think it just goes to show how often, like, broadly how humans like to make a line in the sand and say that there's us right. and then the others. And then more specifically, how white people like to go into an area where there are people living a perfectly fine life, doing their own thing. It's just not the same way white people do it. And they're like, no, no, savages, no, no. This savages, is just, this is just right. terrible. We have to come in here and fix this. And not a damn thing needs fixing. Right. Nothing needs fixing. Nothing needs you. Like, you don't, like... Huge savior complex. And then also bringing Jesus in and being like, we need to save these poor people for themselves instead of being actual cannibals. Take part in this other thing that is definitely not cannibalism, okay? It's totally normal. Right. Just eat the body and blood of Jesus. Right, seriously. Well, and it's like one of those... uh, They're basically saying, yeah, we're saving them. We're saving them from themselves. We're bringing them to Jesus and and we're saving them we're modernizing them look at all the wonderful food and clothing and technology we can give them but and capitalism. also and capitalism but also we're taking their stuff <laughs> like right we're going to like bleed them dry of all their resources right and right. then when they're gone we'll leave and then they're just sort of fucked right and, and then they cannot thrive in this society that we force them into right it's the whole nestle thing where like nestle says, hey, you're, here's our powdered baby formula that's way healthier for your babies than breast milk. And they give women exactly enough free sample so that, like, especially especially in, in lesser developed countries, Nestle will go in, they'll give them enough free powdered uh, baby formula so that women actually stop um, lactating. And right. then there's no more free formula. And now you can't breastfeed your children. And now you have to go buy Nestle's relatively incredibly expensive formula in order for your children to survive and it's like it's the most predatory awful bullshit same shit different yeah. different year different company like ugh. seriously ethnologist that's the most that's the worst it's the worst ugh. yeah so he yeah he he died and if he didn't died if he if he if he wasn't died then he probably just lived peacefully with these people who he decided that he liked because they saved his life right and he was like you know what fuck the system man yeah no he probably like i mean like think about it though like these people are living perfectly fine lives like yeah no it's like it's like aborigines in 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 australia too and and inuits they're living their best life yeah except in the case of australian Aboriginal people, the government treats them like shit. Well, yeah, so. that's still very, very true. Yeah. That's like a different story, though. So that's we'll just we'll just leave story. it there for now. Yep, that's one for another another time. Michael Rockefeller. Are there any Rockefellers left? That's a good question. I don't know. Are okay, Google. Are the Rockefeller? Hey, Google. Well, according to this virtual family tree. <laughs> There's nothing past 2017. Oh, my God. Okay, if you type into Google, are the Rockefeller... Don't even finish the word Rockefeller. Are the Rockefeller... And the first result is, are the Rockefellers inbred? 
<laughs> I mean, fair. Whew. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they're still around. <sighs> the world may never know. And by that I mean, we're done googling it. Yeah. We we've like ceased to care. Maybe someone knows. Uh, descendants. Oh, there's a couple of them still around. I David Rockefeller's children are still around. Okay. There you go. There's your answer. God damn, David Rockefeller lived to be a hundred and two. That actually kind of sounds like hell to me. Right. Where's Michael Rockefeller? Oh, hey, Michael Clark Rockefeller. There he is. Officially died in 1961. Son of Nelson Rockefeller. Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller. That is a pretty badass name. Right. The Aldrich part. Nelson, not so much. He looks like an ethnologist. <laughs> I know, right? Look at this Wikipedia picture of him. That's my tie. I know. I know. The best is a ill-fitting suit, though. Oh, God, that suit doesn't fit him at all. Like, you're part of one of the wealthiest families ever, and you can't buy a suit that fits? Right. Like, you can't pay somebody to buy you a suit that fits? Like... Uh. Oh, my God, Wikipedia is just a goldmine, too. Disappeared November 19th, 1961, age 23. Asmat region of southwestern Netherlands, New Guinea. Declared legally dead in 1964, age 25 to 26. Rumored eaten by cannibals, presumed drowned. Body discovered, not found. <laughs> not found. <laughs> That's that. He could still be alive. Who knows? Who knows? He'd be in his 70s. Oh right? my god. 70s? 80s? Something like that. I mean, he'd be old. Yeah. Riding crocodiles now. Oh, right. 